You are listening to GNU World Order, episode 51 of season 12, for December 16, 2018. Hey everybody, this is Klaatu, I'm the host of the show, and this is the penultimate episode of 2018. Or is it? I think it is. I don't have a whole lot to talk about, I mean, not a whole lot that is particularly important, I guess, but but there's a couple of things that I wanted to pick up, just, just to kind of look at, talk about. So, the first thing I'll do is follow up yet again on the ZFS issue. ZFS is a hot topic. So, I've not tried it still, but I got some links from a friend of mine, Cobra2. You'll probably recognize that name. He was the guy who got me to finally try Fossil, which uh, w- which went pretty well. It was an interesting experiment. I haven't really... I still default to Git, but um, but but I, I definitely feel pretty good about knowing Fossil. So, or, or having some experience with Fossil. I shouldn't say I know it yet. But he, he sent me some links about ZFS, and there's a bunch of them. The one I'll focus on immediately, I guess, is the, the Slackware-related one, because that's the one I care about, but it's on slackwiki.com slash ZFS underscore root underscore parentheses built in close parentheses. I will put all of his links in the show notes, including this one, but all of them so that you can look at the different ones according to whatever Linux you happen to run or BSD because there's a BSD a BSD link in there as well. So it's it's kind of kind of interesting because the 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 process is obviously once again, I mean, it's Linux, it's open source, so it's pretty flexible. And, and that tends to appeal to a lot of people who like to get in there and configure things and then scare away people who don't want the choice and would rather just have something delivered to them. Now, since ZFS is prohibited from being included as a, an integrated part of any Linux distribution due to licensing issues, it's, it's really stupid. But that's, that's what's going on. There's a there's a thing in the in the licensing or or the two licenses involved that being CDDL which was the old Sun Microsoft uh, Microsystems what a interesting Freudian slip that was uh, the old Sun Microsystems license uh, and, and the GPL which is of course what the what Linux and most of the systems surrounding Linux are are licensed as there there's just an incompatibility there and I don't understand it and I haven't really looked into it because I don't. I don't really care about the details because it's stupid. So anyway, the, the 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 thing that enables all of this is ZFS on Linux.org. It is the project that is doing a lot of work to make sure that well, integrating ZFS onto Linux post distribution is relatively relatively simple. So in order to do that, uh, you have to get, or or in order to to run ZFS on Slackware or anything that doesn't provide it, really, you, you've got to get the ZFS sources from ZFS on Linux. And the the two packages that are required is the SPL, which is the Solaris porting layer. That has to be installed before you can do anything with ZFS. And then the other package is ZFS itself. Now the process of compiling ZFS and then doing all, you know, getting the whole thing set up, it's a little bit detailed and I I don't want to run through it, especially since I haven't actually done it myself. I I just read the articles. So I'm going to sum it, I'm going to do a summary just so that it, so that the the workflow, hey, we've just been talking about workflows, makes sense. The, The bigger picture, I just want that to kind of come across so that it's not magic. I think when we are not familiar with how something's done, it, it seems magical and mysterious and scary. So the process, the executive summary here for Slackware, again, this is specifically for Slackware, is that you you have a, a system that 
that boots and runs Linux. So that's on some drive. And then you have available to you the drive that you are going to target as your eventual ZFS-based system. So whether that's just another drive in your workstation, or whether it's a second drive in the hard drive bay of your laptop if you've got a spare, or whether maybe you're booted off of a Linux USB drive like Porteus, and then you're targeting the internal drive, you know, whatever, however, whatever your setup is like, that's, that's the, that's the gist. You need something to, to, to create your foundation, and then you'll be rebooting into Slackware the installer. So using this, this functional, um, system, you, you build the ZFS components that you're going to need to install onto your Slackware target. Save those to some persistent place, and then prepare, also, while you're at it, prepare install and use those tools to prepare the drive so you're doing all of the you know you're, you're creating this uh, the system a zfs file system on the drive then you reboot into your slackware installer and you in that dynamic environment you install all of your zfs dependencies so now the slackware installer has available to it the essential zfs tool set so that it can manipulate and 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 even the kernel modules and everything that it's going to need to 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 manipulate this drive, you know, the target location for your system. And then you do some some manual preparation onto the uh, on that drive so that the installer understands that it exists and that the drive will be listed in the proper the appropriate manner in fstab, fstab and all that sort of stuff that that you would need for a bootable system. And then you install the packages that Slackware that the Slackware install DVD generally would would install. Now that also has included the ZFS things. So you're you're installing your you know the stuff off of the Slackware DVD in addition to your custom made ZFS packages. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of steps here. It, I'm 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 hope hopefully not making it sound oversimplified, but there's there's a lot of manual intervention that you have to do to make sure that all of the mount points get created correctly and that all of the components for ZFS are integrated into your init RAM disk and all all this stuff that you have to do in order to get everything mounted properly and recognized by the system. So it's complex, but it's doable and eventually it would be automatable. I mean, it's all just commands on a command line. So I imagine someone, if there's the interest, I, I could imagine someone making this a fairly automated process for Slackware. And as, as I'm sure that other systems like Ubuntu, I think, has has it down pretty easily. I think that's what I've heard. But and then there's always the question of how how much you want the whole system to be bootable on ZFS. Maybe you would in order to be able to take advantage of things like boot environments and so on. I'm I'm not sure. I don't know. But um, I could I could imagine a setup where really I just leverage ZFS as my for, for my home directory because that is generally speaking where I where the data that I care about really is anyway. So I don't know how much how much I would need ZFS for the for the for the system itself. But then there's the question. Really, the, the big question there is, well, how much of ZFS are you missing out if you're not leveraging boot environments and things like that? And I, I'm not really sure, uh, to be honest. I'm not I'm not 100% sure how much that even applies to at least the way that I manage my Slackware systems. Because generally, the base of my Slackware system remains pretty consistent. I mean, it gets security updates, but that's about it. I don't really do a whole lot until the next release to the system itself. I, I 
I add my applications that I need, and I and I I'm quite happy to just live on that for three to five to seven years, whatever the delay is. So yeah, that's that's uh, ZFS on Slackware and ZFS on Linux in general. Someday maybe I'll have data on actually. Uh, how it is for me, but but certainly not anytime soon because uh, I've got all my systems kind of set up the way that I like them, and um, that's good right now. That's kind of where where I'm happy to be. But thanks Cobra Two for all the, the the actual URLs. Those are always useful. I feel like a lot of discussion in the tech world happens, and it's just kind of all discussion. And I really, really like it when people present things, you know, sh- show me the code, that sort of thing. So it- it's all well and good to say that this and that should work on Linux just fine, and with this package you can make that happen. But and, you know, if you don't have a link, or if you don't have a package, or whatever, then yeah, it's really just talk. So I really appreciate the the information. And I will put those into the show note, all those links into the show notes. Okay, next topic. Note first, coffee. <laughs> of communication with the outside world is, generally speaking, email. I know there are lots of other forms of communication available to us in the digital age, but email just, is for me, that's the most efficient, the most logical, it just works for me really well. And, I mean, honestly, if... I haven't put a whole lot of thought about this, it's just something that came into my mind as I'm speaking, but if if I had a choice, I would probably go um, a little bit farther and go full... I guess I'm a task-oriented person, maybe. I, I used to work at a computer company, and they had this internal uh, bug tracker application that they used for pretty much everything, and it was it, it was explained to me at the time that it, it it really is, it's used for everything. I mean, people would literally make, you know, they would file bugs against themselves to, I don't know, remember to pick up the milk on the way home, milk and butter on the the way home, or or something like that, you know? I mean, you would see all kinds of things in there, and and that's just how it, it, it worked. And it worked, frankly, very, very well. And I, from that experience, I thought, this is the way to to do everything. Like, bug trackers, they're amazing. And, And after that, I... Uh, got into Bugzilla and Mantis and other bug trackers, and and lots of other jobs that I've had have been very bug tracker centric. And to me, that is the most efficient way to manage communication between people. And frankly, if I could do away with email and just go bu- bug tracker, I I think that would be great. It wouldn't be perfect because uh, you would have to. I mean, I don't know how you would have to find some kind of protocol for interoperability among bug trackers or something that that seems a little bit uh, a little bit difficult but but or not difficult but it seems like a thing and it's probably not really but it wouldn't be great yeah like bug tracker and people would file a bug like uh, haven't talked in one year so you know here's here's a bug hey how are you doing this is what i've been up to what are you been up to then you respond this is what i've been up to glad to hear you're well 
Close bug. Done. Conversation over. It's perfect. It's brilliant. So anyway, that's that's not what I was really going to talk about. So email is the closest thing to a bug tracker, I guess, that I can find. And it's 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 pretty great. It's efficient, but it, it allows for, for lengthy communication when necessary. Uh, its downfall, I think, is when the threads start to get too too persistent. Sort of like, there's this email, and it's got 57 responses to it, and it's really hard to track which which one is the most relevant, you know? And, and at that point, you really do need to tr- move it to something else, like a bug tracker or something. But but otherwise, for, for normal stuff, for one-off requests or one-off pings of, of catching up after a couple of months of not talking... I think it's it it works quite well. Now I've used quite a few different email applications in my time, and one of my favorite ones is Mutt. Mutt is a pretty powerful little system that I I enjoy quite a lot. Another favorite of mine is the Rmail function in Emacs. That works pretty well and has worked pretty well for me in the past. Now the thing that I use on my desktop, the computer that I'm sitting at literally right now, my my main workstation has been, for a very long time, Thunderbird. And the reason for that was because when other people in my life would ask, I need an email client, what should I use? I would frequently say, well, try Thunderbird. Because that's kind of the, the that's the one. That's the cross-platform, general-purpose email client. Now, my the problem when you're recommending something to people is that you then generally become whether they expect it or whether you yourself feel obligated, you become the support contact for that thing that you have recommended. And what would happen is that people would take my advice, they would try Thunderbird, and then they would ask me questions about Thunderbird, and I would never know the answers because I didn't use Thunderbird myself. So it was time to eat my own dog food and use the thing that I was recommending. So I switched to Thunderbird after a while. And and frankly, at the time, K-Mail was failing me miserably in many, many ways. K-Mail being the default mail application that you get on a KDE desktop. So it wasn't painful to switch to Thunderbird. It was actually quite quite a good thing. It was an upgrade. And, and I used it for probably the past, I want to say, five or six years now, honestly. Just on my workstation. I don't use it anywhere else. It's just on this one computer because I figure... You know, it, I'll, I'll use it there, and I'll, I'll use Mutt on my laptop, and, and that's a good mix of, of of what I want to use versus what I'm telling everyone else in the world to use. It's a little bit frustrating, Thunder, Th- Thunderbird, because Mozilla has been kind of doing this on-again, off-again thing with Thunderbird. Is it, is it officially supported? Is it something that we're going to forsake? They kind of keep threatening to kill it off, and then it kind of sticks around and yeah it's 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 a bit weird and it's frustrating because i feel like of of the projects that mozilla is involved in and there are many thunderbird is the one that really really is properly aligned to their their original purpose firefox it is a a form of an internet client it 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 goes to the internet and retrieves information and then displays it for the user and stores it locally that's that that seems to make a lot of sense so i would i would very much like to see thunderbird as kind of a proud and stable offering from mozilla but i i don't know how they feel about it i don't know their download numbers and so on and certainly from my perspective i have gotten a, just a lot 
fewer email client requests than than I had five years ago. Now, now my my role in in life has changed, meaning that I'm I'm not currently a systems administrator, and and I was at one time. So maybe that was why I was getting those kinds of questions because people at work frequently actually do need a client, and so I was the natural person to ask. Or maybe what everyone else has been saying for uh, probably about 10 years has, is is true, and that is that people are just using the the HTML web clients provided by, by whatever email provider they they actually do use. So I don't know which of those is true. I have a feeling it's a mix of, of the two. That's my feeling. Either way, I don't feel as burdened to have kind of an email client recommendation in my back pocket that I can tell people, yeah, you should go use this thing, and here's how to use it, and oh, you have a question about that? Well, let me just answer you real quick, because I know it right off the top of my head. doesn't matter so much anymore to me. And, and, and Thunderbird, while it has been serving me quite well, um, there are a couple of weird little things about it that, that were not, I, I, even the word annoying seems a little bit strong, but they were, they inspired me to look elsewhere for email. And one of those things, just for sake of documentation here, is the Enigmail, uh, plugin. The Enigmail plugin is great because it helps you, it, it integrates the GPG or PGP, whatever you want to call it, um, system into Thunderbird. And, th- and that's wonderful. I mean, that's it's necessary, it's important. I-, I would not be able to use Thunderbird without that. So it's a good little system, but it just, I don't know if it was me or it or or GNOME Keyring, I'm not really sure, but I could never quite get Enigmail to enter, uh, to, to, to truly become integrated with my GPG subsystem. And, and I have a feeling it was partly me, uh, because I was, I, I wasn't running a GPG agent, as it turns out. Surprise. So, it, it wasn't ever quite, I mean, it would, it would work in, in many ways where, you know, if it was a function that it just needed to find one file and, and use that as the, the thing to de, to de, decrypt something, or to sign, actually, I think it was to sign the file. Um, but anytime I would, like, search a key or try to add a key to my keychain from within Thunderbird, it would always fail. And that that wasn't it wasn't a deal breaker. I could just do it manually from the from a from a terminal. But but it it sort of it was something that I noticed. And I, and I like I say I think it was probably ultimately my fault. But um, the fact that it didn't tell me that it was my fault I think is is also a valid criticism. And then the other thing is that every single time Thunderbird would update, it seemed like the theme of Thunderbird would change. And I don't mean that it would actually change on its own, but it would rip the theme that I had assigned to it out from the interface and and show me something different. And then it, it would take me a non-trivial amount of time, which can be anything, you know, depending on how, how annoyed I am at the time or how how urgent I feel like my other tasks are at the time, could be anywhere from 5 minutes to 30 minutes, or 2 hours. But it would take me some time that I didn't want to spend to restore it to what I had configured it to look like. And I use a dark theme on my... my, on I think all my computers, actually, but certainly on my, my my Slackware laptop and my workstation. And the workstation, as I said, is the one that runs Thunderbird. So opening up Thunderbird and just having this this glaring screen of 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 whites and grays uh, of pale grays uh, w- was just too much for me and and I decided at, at last that I that was actually the thing that broke it for me I just thought 
I'm, I'm tired of messing around with finicky GTK theme settings, and so I'm going to try, I'm going to use something else. And I considered a couple of other alternatives, like uh, Claws, I think, was one of them for sure. And I th- I want to say the other one's Sylphid, although I could be making that up. Maybe those two things are the same. I don't remember now. But there were some, you know, there were two clients at least that I looked at, and I think I even, I think I even installed them. Yeah, Claws Mail, and I guess Claws at least. So, so Claws is what I... I guess I installed, and I and I I booted it up once, and first of all, I I'm pretty sure it's a GTK application, so I feared maybe having the same issue. But then, aside from that, the setup kind of made me nervous. I, I forget what it was about it, but it it wanted me to it sort of forced me to go through the setup stage before I could launch the interface, and I wanted to launch the interface because I just wanted to see what it was like and what kind of options I would have. And it, it kind of just annoyed me. Again, annoyed is, is a strong term for just, the, the you know, my whim didn't go that way. I just thought, eh, who cares? I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that right now. I would rather do this. So what I ended up deciding to do against everything in my being telling me to tell, to, telling me not to do this, I decided I think what I should do is try K-Mail again. Now understand, Kmail was great. I used to use Kmail and the whole contact suite, which is, again, sort of the default personal information management system in KDE. I used to use it on a daily basis at my job as a sysadmin at a film school, and it was working brilliantly. It was a robust, beautiful system. It did everything I wanted it to. I was really, really happy. And then one day it just started falling over, and I don't remember if it was after an update of Slackware where I had, you know, I I brought in some fancy new version of KDE and everything was falling apart. I I don't exactly remember what the what the killer update or or killer moment was for it, but I just remember Kmail falling over. And I kept kind of trying to go back to it for several times. You know, I'd I'd go back to it, it would fail, go back to it, fail. Over the course of many years, I guess. And and I finally just... And I think even at my most recent job, uh, before the, my current job, the one that brought me to New Zealand at a film studio, I my, my first impulse was, well, I'll use Kmail, because we're running Linux. I, I've got the KDE desktop. You, you could choose your desktop. I chose KDE. And... And so I figured I'll just go Kmail, and it it it, it failed again, you know? And it, it wasn't a, an immediate fail. It was one of those things where, for three weeks, you think, cool, I'm using Kmail. And then one day, it's just, you, you try to search for a contact within your, your department or something, and it crashes your computer or something stupid like that. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm just using random hyperbolic situations here. But this time around, I thought, I'm going to use Kmail, and hopefully, hopefully it will, hopefully this is a good release and it will work. And I don't know why I thought that that might be the case, but I did. And so I started up Contact and started, you know, I, I imported. Turns out there's an import wizard from Thunderbird into Kmail, and it does a pretty good job. It's a little bit fuzzy in terms of where, what you're, what exactly you're supposed to be pointing it at. I found that a little bit odd. It, it, it sort of, and the, the language that it uses is kind of surprising too. It, it sort of, it warns you to, here, import messages. It warns you, it says, uh, here, Thunderbird, it says, select 
your base Thunderbird Mozilla Mail folder, usually tilde slash dot Thunderbird asterisk dot default mail local folders. Never choose a folder which does not contain inbox files, for, exa for example, a mailder. If you do, you will get many you will get lots of folders that you don't want. And I rem I, I think I, I, I tried to do what it was telling me, and it didn't apply because the I think the location of the Thunderbird folder has changed since this was written or something. And so I went into this place and couldn't find the thing that they were talking about, and so I ended up importing something else, and I got a whole bunch of folders that, as it told me, as it warned me, were not actual mail folders, and so I had to go and reset the KMail backend, which is really difficult, not very fun. It's heavily integrated into KDE. You you have to run a couple of like KDE-specific commands to clear out the database or something. It's, it's quite annoying, to be honest. And I thought, well, this does not bode well, because already this is not going... This is... Already I'm having to back out of a bunch of incorrect choices that I made in early on in the application that I can't undo in the application. So it was, it was pretty annoying. Uh, and granted, it was my fault. So once I cleared everything out and re-imported all my folders correctly from Thunderbird, everything seemed to be okay. This was promising, actually. So I integrated it into, I, I you know, you make your accounts, and, and you can you can do all the work, all the front work, before you even bother, you know, importing all your accounts and stuff. And that and that's nice. I, I, I feel like that's an important part of, of this process, is the ability to evaluate the application before you sort of go through all the, the the mail server configuration process. So set up my accounts, my, my remote accounts rather, and then uh, assigned a GPG key to each one of them as as appropriate and started checking my mail and Kmail. Very much not convinced that this was a keeper. Very much feeling like this is a temporary... F I'm just testing this thing, and I'll probably end up either back on Thunderbird, or I will just use Mutt on my workstation, and and that'll be the the mail client on the workstation, because there's really no no reason to use a GUI client, really, honestly, at all. It, it's it's exclusively just going from Thunderbird to something, to some other GUI uh, client, and not really feeling like this is like there's any good reason to have a GUI, but I, I just felt like I would I would give it a go. And I don't know the report after um, quite a few weeks of of using Kmail has is is quite positive to be honest. It has been performing very well. It's got uh, let's see uh, three or four different accounts that it that it checks and manages and sends email from, and it's been doing everything pretty well. I still probably need to tweak my account settings a little bit better than what I've got it set to. Um, I could use a little bit more automation in account selection when responding to things. But the, the GPG performance is, is, is really, really smart. And one of the things that it did for me was it reminded me, kindly, that I did not have a GPG agent turned uh, active on my system. And I think that was, again, retrospectively, I think that was probably where Thunderbird, or Enigmail specifically, was failing me. But but it didn't ever warn me about that. It never told me, oh, I can't find you, I, I can't connect to a GPG agent. It just would, it would just fail in other ways, never explaining why it was failing. And so I assumed it was a problem with Enigmail, like the, I thought it was a, an interface issue. But I think what it was was just me being stupid and not remembering to turn on my GPG agent in uh, sort of an auto script location. 
Oops. So Kmail at least told me about that, got me to fix that problem, and, and it's been working really, really well so far. And the cool thing about Kmail, the thing that I guess I really do like about it, is that it has a bunch of has a bunch of extra things in it that I could imagine myself maybe at some point using. And specifically, well, I mean, certainly one thing that I do use, which is the, the feed reader, the RSS feed reader, this is... Um, Again, because I because I had it because I was using it for so long as a sysadmin, I really got used to kind of K or, or contact rather. I call it Kmail, but it really is contact, um, and with a Kmail component, I got used to contact being kind of the 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 place for information, you know, for my personal information. I mean, it was kind of my notebook on the computer. So you've got your feeds, your your articles that you can read, and that's great because I don't necessarily read articles unless they're somewhere that remind me that they're there. So it's, it's nice to have them right here next to my email because that way I can, when I'm finished resolving all of my email issues, uh, meaning responding to people, uh, not that that's an issue, but you know what I mean, and um, after that, I, then I can just kind of slide on down to feeds and read, oh, there's Geek Archaeology, and there's a new monster that Brent posted on Monday. Great, so I can read that now. Planet KDE, okay, cool, I can check that out. Opensource.com, I can look at that. So there are lots of little features in here. I mean, there's and there's other, other things that I don't really necessarily use. I keep meaning to use it, but I, I probably won't ever. But there's like a little journal application and a notebook application, kind of... I guess I, I would imagine it was a little bit like maybe Tom, what was it called, Tomboy Notes or something like that. There was some old GNOME sort of application where you could make, it's basically a personal wiki. And and I don't know that I would use that because it's, I have too many computers to, to create something that, that is local. That, that's just not going to work for me, really. So I don't know. But there are, and there's a calendar, so I could use that in in theory if I ever actually started calendaring out my life. I mean, I could also do all of this stuff in org org mode in Emacs and keep that on my thumb drive, so that's probably what I would do. But in terms of, of the application itself, Contact, I do like the mail, I do like the feeds. It's very useful, and so far, it's been working for me pretty well. Uh, certainly at least as well as Thunderbird, uh, and, and possibly, arguably, better, honestly, uh, in, in some ways. And again, Many of those ways aren't necessarily Thunderbird's fault, but but error reporting is, I guess, part of the you know I mean it's it's arguably part of the burden of being a client, so so maybe it is their fault. But anyway, contact if you haven't tried it lately, you should try it out. If you use KDE, I can't imagine using it outside of KDE myself or outside of the KDE ecosystem, as it were. Could use it on Fl- Fluxbox or something. Uh, with with all those KDE libs installed as well. I mean, you could use it in GNOME too. I, I just I feel like it would probably feel more integrated if you used it within KDE. But it is nice, and uh, unfortunately, I can't say that I'm going to be using it forever, or that I even have enough confidence in its continued functionality to recommend it to other people, aside from having just recommended it to you. Um, but I'm, I'm I am saying. You should take a look at it if you're looking for a robust email and feed reading client on a machine. It's worth looking at. Hopefully they continue to keep it worth looking at. KDE has, so far in the past, done a lot of changing around in contact. And that is not always 
served me well. But right now, it seems to be working quite well, and so I'm recommending it as something to look at if you are looking for an email client. Okay, that's about everything for this show. I, I just kind of wanted to talk about the listener feedback about ZFS and email clients, and I've done that. So that is it. Thanks for listening. I will talk to you next week for the final show of the year, and then um, and then the week after that should be uh, episode. Oh wait, there's one more show. There's this is not the penultimate. There's another. There's the twenty third, and then the thirtieth. They snuck a snuck another another week into my year somehow. So bizarrely, I'll have fifty three episodes in twenty eighteen even though there are only 52 weeks in a year. I'll have to decide what to do about that. That's going to be a tricky one. So maybe we'll just start the year early. We'll see. It'll be exciting. Find out. Either way, I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Listening to the GNU World Order Cast. This has been Klaatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the Freenode network usually in channels such as Augcast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, a couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Klaatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Klaatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at klatu at member.fsf.org. That's klatu at member.fsf, as in free software foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info. I will see you next time. systems and utilities dominate.